0: Welcome to the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Five New York Times bestselling novelists, endless stories. Join Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, Patty Callahan Henry, and Mary Alice Monroe, along with librarian Ron Block. As novelists, we are five longtime friends with more than 80 published books between us.
1: And I am Ron Block. Please join us for fascinating author interviews and insider talk about publishing and writing. If you love books and are curious about the writing world, you're in the right place.
2: Friends in Fiction is sponsored by Mama Geraldine's Bodacious Foods. Kathy Cunningham was a successful but unfulfilled radio executive in Atlanta. One night, while sipping wine and snacking on expensive cheese straws, she realized her Mama Geraldine's own cheese straw recipe was far superior. The idea for Kathy's company was born. Mama Geraldine's cheese straws now come in six varieties and they are the best selling cheese straw in the United States. Plus the cookies are melt in your mouth delicious. Yummy snacks and a woman owned empire. Now that is something that we here at Friends in Fiction can get behind try them. You'll be so glad that you did. Get 20% off on your online order at mamageraldines.com with the code FAB5. Snack on, y'all.
1: Welcome to the Friends in Fiction Podcast Writer's Block. It's the same program you've come to know and love, but now it has an added twist. If you're already subscribed, you don't need to do anything. We'll now be dropping a new episode every Friday, right where you've always listened. There are so many books and writers to talk about, and we're so excited to share them with you all.
0: I'm Christy Woodson-Harvey from Friends in Fiction, and before we get started, I just have to say how honored and grateful we are to have our good friend and brilliant librarian, Ron Block, on board to make our podcast a go-to place for the best of the reading and writing worlds. Ron has been a huge cheerleader and advocate for all of the Fab Five, and when we talked about people that we wanted to partner with on this podcast, he was the name that we thought of. We are just pinching ourselves that he said yes. Ron, what in the world were you thinking?
1: I'm not sure. Can I get back to you on that? (laughs) No, are you kidding? This is such a big honor for me, and I'm just thrilled that you asked me, and I just look forward to so much fun and really, really connecting writers and readers which, you know, is one of my huge passions. So
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, yes.
1: So let's get going with this. This week, we're going to celebrate summertime. And we are thrilled to host today's guests, Wade Rouse and Alyssa Friedland. We're going to talk about summertime memories and how they can influence us right into adulthood. And both writers are a blast. So get your swim goggles on, grab a sand pail, and listen in. <laughs>
0: I love that. First up is our good friend, Wade Rouse. Yes. Wade is a celebrated memoirist whose books are noted for their humorous take on life. Under his pen name, Viola Shipman, Wade has now written six novels and has created legions of fans who relate to his recurring themes of friendship, family, and our ongoing connection to our histories and heirlooms. Viola's latest, The Clover Girls, was recently published to great buzz and acclaim. It is a perfect, heartwarming read to reminisce about summer camp, friends, and lifelong relationships. Library Journal says the Clover Girls is a love letter to Michigan summers and to the value of lifelong friendships. A blissful summer read. I know it was one of those books that I've recommended everywhere I've been and Great. have bought for all of my friends. It's my uh, go-to hostess gift this summer. So I was so thrilled to get to read it early and am so happy about all of its huge success. So. Wade, welcome to the podcast. This book has been everywhere. And so for the three or four people in the world who have not read it yet, please tell us about the Clover Girls.
3: And thank you both for having me. I appreciate it. I'm with my two of my favorite people in the stratosphere.
0: So Me too. Me too. I'm I'm interrupting you, but I have to say, like, you and I know each other because of Ron. Like we never would have. I mean, we met because of Ron. We had books that published the same time, so this feels like a very full circle moment.
3: It does, isn't it crazy? (laughs)
0: It's amazing.
3: Yep. So our, so yeah, I have my sand pail, I have my goggles. Um, I'm ready. I wear, you know, I wear a one piece. You know, I'm not that age.
1: Stripes across. No more
3: bikinis. No, and you know, and a vertical stripe too. You know, it's Uh more plumbing. Yeah, for those who aren't familiar, the Clover Girls is um, a summer ode to our forever friends. And it's about four very different girls who meet at summer camp in northern Michigan in the 1980s and become the best of friends until, as we all know what happens, life and adulthood begins to distance them. And one of the friends receives devastating news and reaches out to the others to return to the cherished place that they loved so much in order to recapture their friendships and their dreams and really the women that they once hoped that they could be. And, you know, it's about not only our forever friends, but really the fragility of life and uh, the ability to forgive, not only ourselves, but others. And, you know, I loved being able to parallel today's time with the 1980s, which is, you know, when I grew up, um, it was my jam. You know, I was all about the 80s with the Aquanet. And the Jordache jeans and the deck shoes. So you know, I think people that grew up in the 80s will really resonate with all the memories and feelings as well.
1: Yeah, that's a great, great way to put it because it's just mm-hmm. such a wonderful book. And, and like Christy, I've recommended it to so many people, mm-hmm. and I think I've convinced at least five or seven hundred book clubs to jump on and read it because there's a lot to talk about. A lot there of people is. have a certain age, their histories, their own memories of camp. So. What a great way to celebrate summer.
3: And you did, Ron. I have to say, you know, it's. It, I was on um, Cleveland TV and the producer is having, I'm um, doing their June book club with them coming up in a week. So it was, it's, you You really are the connector in every possible way. Yes. <laughs>
1: yes. It's, it's, it's out of respect and love for all of my writer friends. It's just something that I love doing. Um, so... Your Viola Shipman books all feature a loving portrait of life in Michigan. Tell us the appeal of the setting and and why you put that into your books.
3: Well, for a number of reasons. You know, first of all, I think Michigan, if you have not visited the state, is truly one of the most beautiful spots in, I think, not only the nation, but the world. You know, the coast of Michigan is very much like Nantucket or Cape Cod, even where Christie lives. You know, beautiful Lake Michigan looks like the ocean. Um, beautiful dunes and beaches. And the beauty of Michigan is really that along the West Coast North is every, it's dotted and lined with resort towns. And every single resort town is not only incredibly adorable, I mean, it's like a Courier and Ives print come to life, Mm. but it's filled with history. Each has this kind of quirky, unique history that just begs to be written about. and. You know, I I was blessed to have the, all the Friends and Fiction authors on over the course of May with me. And you know, I'm not lying when I say that people like Mary Kay Andrews, Mary Alice Monroe, Christy, Patty, Kristen, you know, when you write about like they write about the South, um, the Low Country, you know, an uh, author like Mary Alice Influenced me greatly in choosing a location and making it as big a character as the characters in my novels. I've always wanted the setting to live and breathe and change the characters and make people want to visit. I mean, Michigan is the perfect summer place. So, you know, I I intentionally chose Michigan as the setting for every one of my books, and I you know I try to vary every resort town, and it's. You know, I get to go on vacation, too, in the summer to all of these places. Yeah. (laughs) Stay with friends and annoy them and drink way too much wine and talk with locals about what they love about the town and the area and do tons of research. So, you know, it's a blessing to live in Michigan and also to be able to to live here in the summer and vacation.
0: Mm, That's so well said. And I loved, you know, the whole whole summer camp background. And um, I was reading this book. I think it was right after i had gone to family camp with my son will and my husband and some of our friends and it was rustic to say the least and um i am not a rustic kind of gal so um you know we had a good time and i made it through but i was laughing you know coming back and i always went to summer camp and i loved it i had more of a rustic tolerance when I was younger, as I think we do, Um, but I loved summer camp. And I thought you just really captured, you know, not only the setting of Michigan, but also just the feel of being at summer camp and what that feels like and what it looks like and what it smells like and, you know, all of those things that sometimes we forget about and they just bring back those really great memories. But the other thing that, you know, you and I have talked about this that I thought you captured so well was the complexity of female friendship. Um, and I was just sort of astounded by how well you did that, you know, as a man. And I know that you have so many women in your life that you're so close to. And you obviously, you know, have really taken note of those relationships because you did express that and put that on the page so, so well. But each of your main characters is very different. And yet they all find each other and form this lifelong bond. But I think very true to life. It's not always fun. So, have you based Liz, V, Rachel, and Emily on real friends? And which of them do you identify with the most?
3: I did um, base them on real friends, and, and including myself. And I have to say, you know, it's it's interesting. And I talked with Ron a little bit before about this when I did an event with him in um, Cleveland. And you know, growing up, I had a lot of guy friends. I had way more female friends, Mm -hmm. same way as an adult. You know, Mm -hmm. I think as a, as a gay man, women flock to us, (laughs) they want, they, you know, they tell us their secrets. Um, Mm -hmm. They tell us everything about Mm -hmm. their lives. Um, My aunts, my great aunts, my grandmothers did the same. And I think growing up, I learned as a kid in the Ozarks, you know, if boys hurt each other, we punched each other. Right. even i did right. you know yeah. and, you, and you, <laughs> left, you left a bruise women often hurt each other in a way that leaves a scar on the soul um it's not visible often but it remains for a long long time and so many women have shared their secrets with me about how they've been hurt both intentionally and unintentionally by other women and not just other women, but their best friends. You know, it could be jealousy, it could be betrayal, it could be you like another the same guy. Um, things come up during friendships that you know that don't sit well with us sometimes, and we lash out. You know, and a big part of the book is about is is about forgiveness. You know, yeah, there are four very different women. They're all based on people I know. You know, V is Veronica. She is a Supermodel from the '80s, one name like Madonna or Amon, <laughs> and she's based on a very dear friend of mine named Trish. She was a Wilhelmina model in the 1970s. Yeah. And, oh, I
2: didn't
3: oh, know that. Yeah, Trish was. Trish is still stunningly beautiful and the coolest human being in the world. Um, but you know, she got married. She had a family. She dropped out of the limelight. Um, she ended up getting divorced. And I think, you know, during the course of that, she kind of lost who she was. You know, as I write about B, she lost her light. Mm-hmm. And she wonders, is it myself or is it, you know, my marriage? What 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 caused that? Um, Emily, as I told Ron, is based on I my best friends are librarians. And, you know, I think the most intuitive empaths in the world, you know, they sometimes are quieter, but can often feel everything that's going on around them. And, you know, she's based on those friends. Um, Rachel is based on a friend of mine that worked for a politician, more of an extremist politician, who she began to realize she was working against her own interest as a woman. Um, so I really wanted to, to delve into that. And, you know, Liz is kind of the, the real estate agent um, divorced, taking care of her mother who's dying. She wanted to be a fashion designer and always put that on the back burner and was always the cheerleader for everyone else. And that's based largely on myself, you know, who wanted to be a writer my whole mm-hmm. life. Cheer everybody on to pursue their own dreams. And at the age of 40, I thought, why haven't I ever done this? Mm-hmm. Why? Why aren't I making my dreams come true? And a lot of it was because I was scared you know, to put myself first and to put myself out there. So I think, you know, the very different dynamic of these very different friends comes to play, um, mm-hmm. I hope, beautifully in this novel. So it's a complex, as you said, Christy, It's you know, it's not a picture-perfect scene of friends. It's a very, they're complex relationships.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that you said that so well, too, about, you know, our fear. And I think each of these women, you know in order to move forward with the lives that they're supposed to be leading. And they all come into this with, if maybe not a knowing and nagging, like, oh, maybe I'm not where I'm supposed to be. And there is that fear. And I think, you know, you really showed that coming back together. And I think this is something that I really love to write about, too. And I think you did this so well. I think there's something about being with friends that knew us before. Yes. I think I said one time before the world got its hands on us, you know, they and told us who we were supposed to be. They really know each other on this very pure level. And I think there's something about that that helps you remember who you wanted to be before Everybody told you what you were supposed to be. And there's something really special about that.
3: You nailed it on the head. I mean, yes, you did. I mean, that is beautifully stated. You know, I, people always ask authors, why did you write this book? Why mm-hmm. did you, what's the reason behind it? Was it characters or it was a story? And for me, it's always a question that I want to answer myself, that I'm struggling with, that I think readers want answered or are struggling mm-hmm. with. And in this, it was what happened to our childhood friends and dreams. You know, when you look back, you just, you said it so perfectly. People that knew us when I believe we were the purest essence of ourselves, before we were wounded and damaged and hurt and adulthood came to call when we were kids and we could dream we could be. Anything we wanted in this world, we could be an astronaut or a movie star, or you know, maybe even an author. And we knew it would happen. There was no doubt that we were going to be that when we grew up. And things happen and come into play. And I wanted to ask, you know, the question I asked was, is it because we grow up or is it because looking back hurts too much if those mm-hmm. things didn't come true? And those friends we had, we let kind of fade away. Um, which of those is it? So I kind of have struggled. You know, that was the question I struggled with because, you know, in the course of the last year and a half, I've had, you know, friends that have passed away from COVID. I've had my father-in-law who's yeah. passed away. Yeah. And I asked myself, "Was I, I doing enough as a friend, a family member, just a soul? to be there for everyone. Um, And I think we've all asked ourselves that question.
1: We certainly have, and um, it's really been quite a year. And and again, I'm sorry for your loss of your family and friends, Um, but I think we've all, you know, like you said, we've all been touched by that. But I think we can grow some strength from it and move forward. You talk a lot about people, the friendships in the book as though they both their lives now and their lives when they were younger. And the timeline is just so beautifully woven together what process do you use to do that because you have to remember each little detail about each of the characters and where they are now and where they were then and weaving them together is going to be a task do you do them separately and then weave them together or do you do, the, do it in a chronological order
3: i do it in a chronological order I'm, you know as Christy asked, we interview a lot of authors and you know i am very much a pantser you know i am i don't like plot overly yeah. plotting because it reminds me of my jobs that I used to have as a yeah. PR and I'm like, oh, look, I don't Ugh. like that. Who wants to do that? work for the work. You know, my boss is used to always ask, that. Would you give me an outline? I'd be like, no, because I, <laughs> I'm going to tell you about it in person. Um, so I've never loved doing that. So I really, I kind of always develop the characters in depth mm-hmm. and writing memoir, um. I knew everybody that I was writing about, friends, family, people I loved, people I didn't. So I was—I knew them intimately. So I always want to approach every novel knowing every character that intimately. So I really do very in-depth character sketches. And I, I just start, you know, with this, I really started with the timeline because I wanted to explore the 80s. You know, I loved what Christie said, that time of innocence. You know, we were the last era before technology you know, malls and, you know, writing directions when we would drive on um, rotary phones and pulling the cord into our bedroom, stretching it a mile so that yes. we get quiet time. <laughs> oh, uh, you know, that's, I think that was, you know, kind of a then and now parallel that I really wanted to explore in this novel. So I knew I wanted the timeline. And I th- thought the beauty of doing that was that I could go back and see them as they were versus as they are now. You know, really show the ghosts on their shoulders back in the day. So it was, once I had the timeline down, it, it kind of flowed. And I'm big on structure. You know, one thing I do plot is is a structure for a novel. And I try to think very uniquely about how I want to approach it. You know, in this, every chapter is centered around a traditional camp activity. Yes. You know, writing letters home, rope burn, color war, um, swim test, all of those things, but they also have a deeper meaning during the course of the book, as well as to each of the women. So I could take that thread and really weave it more deeply into their into their interaction and looking into their backgrounds. You know, it's interesting. I have my novel that's coming out next spring is um called The Button Jar Tentatively. It's about, you know, if you're Remember grandma's buttons, and they all had a history, and some were stunningly beautiful, but they're all centered around different buttons, um, which have incredibly unique histories to them. So, it's a you know, pardon the pun, it's a really great great way to thread it together. So,
1: uh, (laughs) (laughs) So I always
3: try to think very cleverly about how I want to structure a book because to me, that's
1: my linchpin. Yeah, and that's one of the things that you do so well and you really mm-hmm. connect with people. I know when we've done live events, the talking, of, mainly about when we talked to the charm bracelet, people actually read the book yeah. and brought their own charm bracelets. They they connect so much to the history and the heirlooms that you put in your books. Um, and I know that's very important to you, but how have you felt about the reaction of your readers to that?
3: It's You know, that is one of those things, I think, when you start writing that, you don't imagine will happen. And it's mm-hmm. one of the biggest blessings. You know, you, you know, I switched from writing humorous memoir to women's fiction. I mean, in total night and day um, transformation. And, you know, I was writing about, you know, you talk about my first novel. I was writing about charm bracelets. And then I wrote about hope chests and mm-hmm. recipe boxes and, you know, old cottages. And there are things that I didn't know if the younger generation would place that much importance on. And I went to my first events for the charm bracelet and there were lines of readers waiting, not to get their book signed only, but because they brought treasures from their lives and they wanted to show me their charms. They wanted to show me that where each one came from and the meaning behind it Um, because So many readers were like my grandmothers, you know, said it before and I'll say it again. They were working poor women who sacrificed everything for me and for my family. And these things that we take for granted meant the world to them. You know, my grandmother did not have the money or or means to go to Paris, but she had the Eiffel Tower because it represented something bigger to her. Right. Um, She had a sewing machine because she, I mean, that was her passion. She had silhouettes of her children and grandchildren with the dates on the back because that was her world. You know, these things, these trinkets mean so much. And to me, they tell the stories of our family and where we've been and where we're going. And there's a huge connection there that I hope that we don't forget.
1: I don't think we will. Some of the people that came to those events were talking about their children and how they were passing it down. So good job.
0: I remember seeing the charm bracelet. It was the first time that I went to Pulpwood Queens, but you weren't there, were you?
3: I was there, I think right before, maybe a year before.
0: Okay. So I was going to say, I mean, I think we must've missed each other because obviously we would have met, but um, I remember thinking, oh, what a good idea. Why didn't I think of that? (laughs) Because that's something that's like so important in my family and- you know, everybody has their charms and their charm bracelets and um, things that are like passed down. And then also things that, you know, are special from a certain memory. And, you know, it is a really, uh, that one in particular, I think is like such a special family heirloom. And those things are so fun to write about. I've written a lot about, well, about my grandmother's pearls, for one thing, because there was something Mm -hmm. about them, that I felt like it was almost this like passing of the torch or something when I got them. So I think there's a really clear reason why that resonates with people. And it, it definitely did with me.
3: That's exactly right. Except, except, you know, I always people joke with me. Now, my friends are like, okay, if it's the whisk by Viola Shipman, you're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs>
1: the by Viola <laughs> I think yeah. Well, each could be a chapter.
0: The KitchenAid <laughs> Mixer by Viola so <laughs> so I love I it. Love um, it well, since our theme today is summertime, can you tell us about your summers as a child and how they helped create the foundation of your life today?
3: Oh, my God. How much time do you have? <laughs> um, oh, my gosh. Summers for me, I it's still my favorite season. I. I mean, I love summer more than any other because growing up, um, my grandparents had an old log cabin in the Missouri Ozarks. I grew up in the middle of nowhere. This cabin was in the middle of nowhere. And it was an old log cabin that my grandpa helped build. Um, We had an outhouse for about a decade. I bathed in the creek, ice cold creek, Um, no telephone, um, no TV. And I spent summers with them. From Memorial Day until Labor Day. And, you know, we fished and we swam and we canoed and we had inner tubes and we read in the caves that, you know, hugged our cabin. And it was a picture perfect, quintessential childhood summer where you didn't do anything but have fun and spend time with your family and friends. And that influenced me so greatly. I mean, I spent much of my adult life trying to find a, a cabin that mimicked what my grandparents had. And we finally found it in Sagatuck, Michigan, you know, an old night, naughty pine cottage from the early 1900s um, that just oozes history and charm. That's, you know, it, that, that summer, those summers as a kid defined me and they still do, you know, Michigan Summer, I mean, I boat, I swim, I go to the beach, I barbecue, I grill, we go to all the art galleries in town, you know, we eat out, we, you know, we drink by by the river. Um, It's just, I've recreated it just as an adult and probably with way more alcohol um, than I did. (laughs) As one does. (laughs) uh, And I just, you know, it just, enjoying those moments brings me full circle as a kid again. And Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I'm ready to get started again. Once this renovation's done, I'm ready to go. Hmm. I
1: love it. It sounds a lot
0: like North Carolina, actually. I mean, I feel like summer is a totally different world. Like it's like our regular life is chopped off and like summer starts and it's so great. And I just look forward to it every year. I'm so happy.
3: (laughs) you You know, that's it. It's like, it's like, how quickly, it's like, oh my gosh, you look at the, you hear the and you're like, it's a perfect day. How quickly can I get out on my boat on the water? Exactly. Um, when, when's everybody going to the beach? One, well, you know. And who
0: can I pick up on the boat along the way? <laughs> and then we can just sit there all day and do nothing. And you're like, wonder what we just talked about for nine hours. Don't know. Doesn't and that, matter.
3: And that is a perfect summer day. That is why we, I think we write the books we do. Yep. And because it, we do. Def- Try to define that season again for people.
0: That's exactly right.
1: Well, I need to think about relocating because yeah, that Ron. does not happen in Cleveland. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we have great summers in Cleveland. I'm kidding. Um, so tell us what's next for you and for Viola.
3: Next up is my first holiday novel. It's out in October. <gasps> Yay! Along with you, Christy. I'm um, so
0: excited.
3: It's called The Secret of Snow. Um, and it's... It's a beautiful novel. It's, you know, it's a holiday novel, but it's really a winter novel. And it's, you know, based a lot on my own life again. But it's about a meteorologist who gets replaced by an artificial intelligent meteorologist in Palm Springs. And she gets drunk and has an on-air breakdown. And the event goes viral. And the only station that will hire her back is in northern Michigan Um and her, one of her frenemies from college runs it and she has to return to Michigan in the winter and kind of embrace all of the winter activities that she ran from because she lost her um, younger sister when she was younger, which parallels my own experience losing my brother and how deeply the holidays were changed for my family. Um, so it's very funny. It's very poignant. Um, I'm really proud of it. So that's out in October. I have a holiday novella, the first of three that's coming out in October. It's called Christmas Angels. It's about a, a woman that is hired to decorate a widower's house for Christmas and um, uncovers all these heirloom Christmas angels um, to decorate the tree with that came from his wife. It's, it's a lovely story about holiday too. And then, <laughs> and then my next, the button jar is out next May, and then my first memoir in a decade is coming out next. Tentatively next June. And it's called Magic Season. And it's about my rocky relationship with my Ozark's father. Um, and the only thing that bonded us was our love of baseball in the St. Louis Cardinals. And it takes place inning by inning over the last um, Cardinals game we watched together.
0: Wow. That is so wow. cool. I love that. Um, um, we really do have some sort of like brain share that we don't know about because <laughs> in my Christmas book, there is a teenager that wants to be a meteorologist. No. Yes. <laughs> That's bizarre, right? I mean, it's, it's not like a huge plot point or anything, but it's like definitely a part of the story.
3: I honestly do feel like that we were separated at birth. I, mean, you know, I think like we've a had
0: a lot of like similar life experiences. And so they just like, but that's a random one. <laughs>
3: it is very random, but I think one day we'll be on a TLC show and it'll be like, Christy, did you know that Wade was your brother? And we'll be- <laughs>
0: <laughs> Like what's that guy's name? Tyler? Um- yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He you know who I'm know. talking about. Mm-hmm. He can I- like put together our like past life where we were, you know,
1: like- oh, the, the Hollywood mm-hmm. medium.
0: Yeah, yeah, Prince and
1: princess. It's I awesome. kind of I- saw it more like a Maury episode, but you know.
0: Okay, okay well, whatever. We, you know what? Whatever the publicity <laughs> is, Wade, and I'll take it. Do <laughs> we're there. We'll do it. Like yes. we're in Jerry Springer episode. It's fun. We're there.
3: Whatever. Well, I will rip a wig off in
0: a minute for publicity. <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten fake nails for oh. Friends and Fiction once. I'll get them again. I don't always, have any problems.
3: I okay. will join you. <laughs> and I have to say, people always ask, what's the one job you would do if you weren't an author? I'm fascinated by weather. Meteorologist would be top of my list. I wow. totally
0: thought you were going to say nails. So I'm, I am think <laughs> yeah. weather sounds like a little more, you know. Um, Classy.
1: <laughs> the
3: would be on the bottom of my list.
2: Good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, um, Wade, as usual, You have been an amazing guest. You know, you are a favorite of the Friends in Fiction crew, and we're so grateful for your time today. Thank you for coming on to share about your beautiful new novel. Cannot wait to read all of the amazing things that you have coming up this year. I'm so excited, and I'll see you soon, hopefully in person.
3: I adore you both, and one day we'll be together again for summer. Forever summer.
0: Forever it
4: summer. It will be a
1: blast, and we'll you know, boom, rockets will fly.
4: I love it.
1: It'll be wonderful. Thank you so much, Wade, for being on the first episode of Friends and Fiction Writers Block.
3: Thank you, it's an honor. And Ron, you're going to rock this.
1: Totally. Thank you.
0: Thank you. <laughs> Bye, you guys.
1: Next up is Alyssa Friedland. Alyssa is the author of four novels and a forthcoming picture book. She attended Yale University, where she served as managing editor of the Yale Daily News and is a graduate of Columbia Law School. She worked as an associate at a major firm before turning to writing full time. Alyssa currently teaches creative writing at Yale. Alyssa's newest last summer at the Golden Hotel is a rich family romp that will remind readers of Dirty Dancing and the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Kirkus Reviews accurately says that the ensemble cast is full of comfortably familiar characters, almost every one of them with something they're not telling yet. (laughs) The vanished history of the Catskills is evoked with love and plenty of schmaltz, a high-spirited party of a book. I could not Mm. have said that better. I love this book. It was the, It's the book of the, of the summer. It's so amazing. So congratulations on it. And I, I love seeing all the buzz and attention it's getting. So tell us what it's about.
4: Sure. Well, thank you for having me. I'm super excited for this. And I love to talk about my books. So <laughs> always a pleasure. <laughs> Last summer at the Golden Hotel is about a hotel very much like Kellerman's in Dirty Dancing or for those... People who like the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, uh, the Steiner Resort, which was shown in season two, both of those are fictitious, but they're very much based on real hotels that existed in the Catskills for decades. Most notably, people talk about Grosingers, the Concord Cutchers, the Raleigh Browns. I mean, at one time there were over two thousand hotels and bungalow colonies in the area, wow. catering. Wow exclusively to Jewish families. It was these hotels started because Jewish people weren't allowed in the other hotels in the area. And originally the Catskills became a popular destination while people were developing tuberculosis in the city and they had to get out of the city and breathe clean air. Hmm. And then it really stuck. And decades, for decades and decades, it was the peak Place to go with your family for the whole summer. I mean, it was a different time and a different culture then where people could take off six, seven weeks from their jobs and uh, the whole family would go. Often the mother and the children would go and the husband would drive up on the weekends. And people speak, people who really did this for decades. I can't explain how fondly they speak of this time in their lives. I have never met someone since this book has come out. Thankfully, it's already been in thousands of people's hands. And they've told me it was the most special time of their lives. I've yet mm-hmm. to hear a complaint. So specifically in my book, though, the hotel, the Golden Hotel is co-owned by two families, the Weingolds and the Goldman families. It was founded in 1960 Which was important to me to have it be newer than the other hotels in the area because that enabled me to have three generations the oldest one not only being the senior members in the family, but the ones that actually built it brick by brick and piece of plywood by plywood because I wanted them very much to have the feeling of ownership and that their heart and soul was in every square inch of the hotel because that makes the juxtaposition that much greater when you look at the way the grandchildren take the hotel for granted. So, Mm -hmm the hotel is very much on its last leg. Furniture is duct taped together. The Catskills are out of favor. It's the only one in the area standing. It has still some of its old regulars and really old regulars. (laughs) The concierge is still. And it's really probably time to close its doors, which everyone wants to kind of ignore until an offer comes from a casino developer to buy the place and put a casino up in its place on the same spot, which happened at uh, the Concord, and which is now Resorts World Casino, which is like a kind of cheesy casino off the interstate. And the two families convene at the hotel in June for a week to decide what to do with the hotel. And everybody there, there's a big cast of characters in this book, and everybody there has an opinion about what should happen to their beloved Golden Hotel. Hmm.
1: Yeah, what a great premise, too. And I just interject this has nothing to do with anything. But when I was in high school, I grew up in uh, central New York. And we used to are, we have a, a Future Business Leaders of America conference. We would go to the Concord. And I just remember looking around in the Concord going like, this is a world I know nothing about. And so I just got such an insider view of it from your book. So thank you for that.
4: I'm so glad. I got. I read a review today where this made me so happy because the reader said, You made me nostalgic for a place I've never been.
0: (laughs) 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 I love that. I love that. That's such an awesome compliment.
1: It is. That's a paperback blurb. (laughs)
0: Seriously. It is. That's so well said. And, you know, we're talking about summertime on this episode, and we had Wade Rouse on as well. And we were just talking about those things that you do in the summer that are your traditions that you go back to again and again that you do feel so nostalgic for and you've really you know captured that feeling so so well and I also just these families are absolutely incredible and the Goldman's and the Weingold's in particular are written with so much familiarity. So did you base these characters upon your own experiences or anyone in your circle of friends or family or were they just out of your imagination strictly? They're really
4: out of my imagination to be honest. I definitely did research for this book. And I spent time sure. with one of the women who was part of the Grossinger family. And she's really advanced in age now, but her mind is sharp as a tack. And she told me some really great stories. So that was good for like, hotel fodder. And I kind of got a sense of what it was like to be like royalty sort of at the hotel. If you're in the owner, yeah. family, you're like a hotel brat. And she told yeah. me about that. And what it was like raising her kids there and how they ran around, you know, going into the freezers and stealing the ice cream. So I got a lot of (laughs) anecdotes from her. But as far as who the characters are, that really just came from my imagination. It's like what I do when I get in bed at night. I just let my mind wander.
1: It's I love it. It's so incredible. And yeah. just uh, some of the scenes, like um, Louise getting up in the beginning to sing a song to everybody, and everybody <laughs> has their traditions and their their reactions that are all like rehearsed. And it's just, I don't know, it takes you back to another time. But you've captured the summers in the Catskills perfectly from what I've read and seen. Um, but beyond the research of the people and things, did you do other research about the hotels and um, – You got it just right because all all the different summer things, shuffleboard. And the main thing for me was the bountiful platters of food.
4: (laughs) I did go to the Catskills. I mean, I'm young. So I went in, it was like at the end, sort of like the, the start of the end, I would say. I have to ask my parents. I either went in the, I would say I went in the early 90s to Kutcher's. We went three times. That was one of the big ones. And there's actually an amazing documentary available on Amazon Prime called Welcome to Kutcher's. Mm-hmm. And it's all about the Kutcher family. And it's about the demise of the hotel. And they interviewed the different family members about, like, they had this booming property that people used to, you know, put their name, you know, queue up a year in advance to be able to get a choice room. And then suddenly the Catskills are out of fashion. Everybody's going to Paris for the mm-hmm. weekends. And they they had no choice but to close. Eventually, they couldn't afford to maintain. These were vast properties. So that documentary was helpful. I read a few nonfiction books, um, not cover to cover, but, you know, I read the, the chunks that were relevant to me about Sullivan mm-hmm. County, specifically in the Catskills. And just so I have to make sure I had my historical details correct. Mm-hmm. People are very sentimental about this place. Like while sure. certainly connect many people who have nothing to do with the Catskills and never been there and had no idea what it was historically are reading the book there are some diehards who spent every summer of their lives there. And I don't want to make any obvious mistakes, you know? Right. So right. I did my homework and speaking with Bunny grossinger about grossingers and watching the documentary, and reading the books. I went to a lecture at a local synagogue that happened to happen. I went up to the Catskills for a weekend and I spoke with an owner of like a hipster resort, which is sort of what's there now, not exactly in the area where all these Jewish resorts were, but like 30 minutes away the Catskills are having something of a comeback and mm, but it's much more like a place where you get a craft beer and you have like locally sourced vegetables. It's not like heaping platters of gelatinous desserts, you know, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's different now, but it, the Catskills might be cool again. I think they are sort of cool again, but it's not, it's like where you go for four days for a long weekend. It's certainly like where, not where you plop yourself for, you know, six weeks at a time. That's That's so
0: cool. That's really interesting. It kind of sounds like Asheville, North Carolina, like the scenes very like cool and lots of craft beer and like all the things that you were talking about and lots of readers. So that's a good thing. I
4: have heard that Asheville is awesome.
0: (laughs) Yes, it's very cool. It's a very cool spot. Um, well the characters in this story are all just so fully realized. They've got these amazing backstories and habits and secrets, which are always my favorite. Um, each could really be a full novel or have their own full novel. So how did you approach like creating these characters, weaving their stories together? And is there one in particular that you connected the most with?
4: I probably connected the most with Amy. Not that my husband deals OxyContin. (laughs)
0: But just thankfully.
4: She's a mom of two children. She's busy. She's kind of you know, super busy with taking care of everyone else's needs and making sure yeah. her mother is okay and making sure her children are okay, that there's a little bit of like, where's the time for Amy, which I think is a right. classic for middle age, the sandwich generation, sure. Call it, which is where I am. So mm-hmm. I probably connected with her the most, and she was maybe the easiest to write. But I think I'm partial to Phoebe. I really like Phoebe. She's the, (laughs) for those who are listening that haven't read the book, she is a bombshell influencer that has, you know, 50,000 followers who just want to know every sip of latte she takes and wherever she, what tattoos she's getting. And she's like very much on the cutting edge and she's monetizing this, you know, cool hip lifestyle she leads. And she's like very easily underestimated. And I have a Mm fondness for writing about women who can be underestimated. I love
1: that. And I love her Instagram handle. (laughs) Free to be Phoebe. (laughs) Free to be Phoebe.
4: (laughs) I remember like, well, I think one of the grandparents like, what does that even mean? Like, who says she's not free to be Phoebe? (laughs) And it was like so classic, like the generations just don't understand each other.
1: They don't. And speaking of generations, I wanted to know more about you You're bringing three generations to the same place and they all have different relationships with the hotel and the family legacy. And they have some similarities among them, but very different views of of what life at the hotel is like and what it, owning it is. Can you talk about how you structured all that together and the different viewpoints?
4: Well, it was you know important to me that the owners were attached very much to the old ways, but I didn't want them to be oblivious. Like it was important to me that they were savvy people as well. I didn't want these clueless old people that could be just very easily dismissed and think like, Mm -hmm. yes, they pine for the days of shuffleboard and martinis, but they are aware that that's not realistic and that's not where the world is trending. They just might think it was better back then, but they don't Mm -hmm. believe, they know that things have to change if the hotel is to survive. So that was important. I think the middle generation for me was really just about capturing like almost everyone in an inflection point in their lives and all three of the middle generation meaning like the two twin boys, the Winegold boys and Amy Goldman are all sort of at various states of midlife crisis. And Amy's life is completely upended with her marriage falling apart and and Peter is just, you know, worked himself to the bone to the point he lives in the office. He easily could see himself dying in the office and he's sort of wakes up and says, what am I doing with my life? And then Brian is, is living in this podunk town and, and the place where he used to be the hero and kind of feels like, is this like, co- have I copped out? You know, have mm-hmm. I taken the easy road? And there, so all three in the middle are in these inflection points, although their storylines are all very different, but they share that uh, middle age crisis moment together And then the kids are kids. They're in their twenties. They're self-absorbed. They're they mean well, but they live in a completely different world. And and that's okay, because that's not their fault. Like they grew up with phones in their faces and they are responding in kind. And (laughs) that's that's who they are. And they all but again, like I don't ever wanna Just say, oh, all the youngest, they're all similar. And all the middles are all similar. Because within the generations, they have very different personalities. So you had to have, like, common themes among the generations, but make sure that their personalities and their life circumstances could each stand on their own and felt unique.
0: Hmm. Well, I think those, you know, you hit on a lot of things just in that, that really create this atmosphere of just humor in this story. There's so many there's so many things in the about this book that are just blisteringly funny, which is yeah, yeah. the best possible thing for a summer read. I mean, I can't think of anything better than sitting on the beach with like a really funny, great, rich book with these amazing characters. And, but there are also a lot of very real issues, like at the core of this story. And I think you balance that so, so well. So was that something that you were, thinking about when you were constructing this story about having these issues overlaid with this humor? Or was it just something that kind of came to pass as you were writing it? And were there issues that you wanted to tackle going into this story? Or did it just sort of happen as it went along? I,
4: I would say that as far as the humor, but with like, you know, Serious issues as well is just sort of the way that I write in general. Yeah. In my previous book, The Floating Filaments, is very similar. Yes,
1: yes, yeah.
4: similar balance between like you have a mother with like in that book a mother with like a, a serious addiction problem, mm-hmm. uh, many many other issues like someone very sick with cancer. I mean, like a heavy stuff, and yet there's yeah. a relay of humor throughout. And Golden Hotel is very much the same, I think. It's just who I am as a writer I think mm-hmm. over time honed my voice and I think that's what I do best mm-hmm. and I want to stick with it it's like where I think I can differentiate myself I guess and you know there's so many great books out there and I'm not not to imply that I do it as a marketing decision by any means it's just what I think I do best. And that's what I want to put out into the world because that's what I like to read the most. And so I don't think that I don't think everyone can write humor and I teach writing also. So this is something Mm -hmm. like as a writing teacher, Mm -hmm. I I think it's like important to not be caged in and you shouldn't like feel that you, you know, can never go from writing a thriller to a rom-com. I mean, some people Mm -hmm. have tremendous range some people are more comfortable once they choose their lane that where they can shine. Right. And I feel like I'm someone who like took me some time to find my lane. I think I found my lane. This is where I'm going to stay because not like I'm exactly a humanitarian as an author, but like bringing laughter <laughs> to people is a gift. And so yeah. like, no matter how little money I make or how hard the job is, you know, like the fact that I'm making people laugh this summer, let's not forget they were coming out of the worst year ever. You know, right. yes, mm-hmm. back out and they can sit on a beach and just burst out laughing. Like what a gift. Mm-hmm. is I am mm-hmm. a huge laugher, like in my real life. Like it's not mm-hmm. hard to get me to laugh. I, mm-hmm. I'm actually funny. I find a lot of other people funny. Laughter is like, is such a gift and like, it is the best medicine. It's how I cope with problems in my own life and finding humor. So I just, I try to, to balance, like there are serious things like a mother, you know, like a mother and daughter having like a a really big fight and and their relationship looks like it's coming apart and this and that. And then like the mother maybe can't help herself and she has to be like, Oh, I can't take it anymore. That shade of lipstick is horrible on you. And then like you have your your comic relief where like they're having a serious moment. And then you're like, you know, the mother just can't help herself. Like she can't let her daughter go out with lipstick that she thinks isn't flattering to her skin tone. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Like
4: ultimately mother daughter issues are very universal. And and that's right. that. And uh, mm-hmm. I do look for the humorous moments. They seem, They also yeah. come to me fairly easily.
1: So. Yeah, th- I, that is a gift. You said it just right. It's a gift because ha- striking that balance and creating mm-hmm. something like this. And also, this is the perfect time for us to read this because we have all been through yeah, a lot yeah. of the last year. And that's mm-hmm. probably why I resonated with this so much. Is like you get the the struggles and the trouble, but then you can laugh your yeah. face off. I
4: think yeah. I so. Certainly that's yeah, the goal. No.
1: You got there. Trust me. Trust me. Um, So the book's been compared to Dirty Dancing and and Mrs. Maisel, but um, also even Schitt's Creek, believe it or not. Mm. Do you think those are fair comparisons?
4: I do. I really do. I think that Dirty Dancing, first of all, I want to, like, I'm just so grateful for Dirty Dancing because (laughs) I I think that my descriptions are good, but the fact that people have Dirty Dancing – as a visual that they can conjure while they're reading is really helpful because for those people who have no connection to the Catskills and have no idea, and they're like, "Oh, Kellerman's," because who hasn't seen *Dirty Dancing*? Everyone has, right? Um, right. I'm grateful for that. I think Maisel certainly in capturing like that particular period of time, which is not where the book is set because the book is set in modern times, but it certainly, I think, like if you think of the older generation as the you know Tony Shalhoub character in Maisel and the traditional father. I would agree with that. And she's very funny. Like, and when I speak, when I go back in the days where I used to do live events, like (laughs) I'd be like, you are such a midge Maisel. Like they thought I was funny. Like I'm like little dark haired girl. Also. And we have, we're both funny, you know? So I, that comparison, I would get a lot. Although apparently I went to hear Rachel Brosnahan speak and she claims to not be remotely funny in real life, but Mm. I'm, I'm I'm similar to her, on air persona, and uh, and Schitt's Creek. I think that's really a plot comparison because that's like right. a hotel that's completely falling mm. apart and a family forced to be together and fixing the hotel and the forced togetherness is what brings them closer. Mm-hmm. And so, like from a plot perspective, there's a lot to compare between mm-hmm. Golden Hotel and Schitt's Creek. So. I I can see them all. They all make sense to me. And they're all Mm -hmm. very flattering comparisons.
1: That's good. Good. I thought so too.
0: Yeah. Well, since we were talking about summertime today, do you have a favorite summer memory that's influenced you as just your life in general or your life as a writer? I went to sleepaway camp every summer as a kid
4: for eight weeks. And I went in the Berkshires. Yeah, I went in the Berkshires. And I would say that a lot of that made its way into the book. I'm really... Mm -hmm thinking about that now for the first time, but I realized that the my camp was very run down. It was really like pretty gross. It just, it was not a fancy camp. Some of the camps, it was happened to be a not-for-profit camp run by a mm-hmm. religious organization. Mm-hmm. And well, I'd say it competed. It didn't, it couldn't compete with the for-profit camps that had clean bunks. And you know, not that not that a clean bunk should be such an amenity, but like they had <laughs> water and they had like, you know, tennis courts without cracks and boats without holes on the bottom. And like, you know, they were were well-maintained. They were run like businesses because they were. They were for profit. My camp was always um, not for profit. It still is. And it's like dusty dirt road. And I am telling you, this camp has no spots by like, I mean, COVID, it didn't run last year, but like you have to sign up for camp, let's say by October for the summer. If you're not there by October 15th, you can't get a spot for your child because it turns out kids don't care if they have a nice new fresh yeah. tennis court and they don't care how clean the bunk is. It's the spirit. It's the atmosphere. It's like it's mm-hmm. the tradition. And this camp was very long on tradition and very short on amenities. And yet oversubscribed every year. Everyone is still close and it's still super popular. Anyway, long winded way of saying that I really, really enjoyed going there and much mm-hmm. like the Golden Hotel of the 60s and 70s, like mm-hmm. you didn't need to have, you know, like a, a, a absolutely ridiculous, like Instagrammable, movable art installation in your lobby that changes everything. <laughs> <laughs> you had a deck of cards sitting on a table in the card room and that was enough. And that was very yeah. like my camp. Mm-hmm
1: that's awesome um so what can we look forward to from you next
4: i have another book coming out next year uh it's coming out in the fall of 2022 it's called most likely and it's uh a departure plot wise but not a departure in tone i will say again it's serious issues with an overlay of humor this one is about four women who are they're each 43 years old, about, you know, 42, 43, 44, they've all graduated from the same class in high school. They were best friends. They return to their high school reunion for their 25th high school reunion. And they're a little drunk and a little tired. And they pull out the yearbook and they see their senior superlatives. And they have not quite accomplished what <laughs> they as most likely to do. And kind of in a drunken moment of desperation, they're like, we got to change our lives. And they set out, you know, to support each other and try to make that, you know, until the next year, you know, to, to make their dreams come true. But of course, along the way, with husbands and ex-husbands and children and mortgages and real life setting in and parents and lots of complication and, and drama and humor, like, it's not so easy to wake up and be like, yes, I am going to go from a stay at home mom and I'm, you know, going to run for president, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> easier said than done. So I love that. That sounds great. So I'm so looking out, forward to that. Like, what does it mean to have it all? And and what's it like to take stock of your life when you hit this inflection age? And, uh, mm-hmm. and do we even know that we would have been happier if those things had come true? So mm-hmm. the book I like that question.
2: that.
1: That's, yeah, great. that's great I look forward to that so I'm going to thank you so much Alyssa for joining us I want everybody to get a copy of the last summer at the Golden Hotel you will love it and it's it's sure to be in a lot of beach bags this summer so congratulations on it and thank you so much for joining us it's been amazing to hear about the book and to meet you and hopefully people will run out and grab a copy I hope
4: so thank you so much for having me So much thanks for thank coming thank you thank you All right.
2: Bye-bye. Bye, Bye, Alyssa. Bye, Bye, Ron. Bye. Thank you for tuning in. Join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live show airs every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern time. And please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. We're so glad you're here.